0: Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the father's love is for you. Yesterday, um, Jeremy and I got to go before church or before church. Um, we went yesterday morning over to the hospital to meet. Um, the newest little member of real life Church of the Nazarene, and that is um, Everly Ann Hope Blaylock. And if you did not see that picture, if you didn't get an email or see a picture of her yet, you need to come see me after church because that baby has more hair than any baby I have ever met in my life. It was amazing. So we got to love on her yesterday morning. That I said is one of the perks of, of being a pastor is getting to go to the hospital and see babies and and love on them. And I'm at the stage in life now where I'm happy to hold them, kiss them, hug them, and hand them back. So um, it was great. And we were excited to, to meet her and to pray over her family. And um, it was just a sweet time yesterday morning. So we're talking about moments at the table still. We're on table talk in a series we started last Sunday, and we're going to continue on um, next week. And we hope that you'll be here for that as well. But this morning, we're talking about unexpected table moments. Um, I don't know, as you think about moments around the table, if you think back over, you know, growing up and raising children or whatever, the phase of life that you're in, um, moments that happen at a table that you just didn't expect to happen. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of my favorite moments out of scripture. But before we talk about that, um, growing up at at my house, um, the table was, dinner time was an important part of life for our family. Now, dinner time didn't happen every, every day of the week because we were busy kids who were in cheerleading and basketball and soccer and, and tr- well, not soccer, but track and different things. Um, and so we were pretty involved, but we tried as many times a week to have dinner around the table as we could. And then on, there was always the Sunday night service. I don't know, some of you might not remember the days when there was this thing called a Sunday night service, but we had a Sunday night service and we loved Sunday night service. And I may be ashamed a little bit to admit this, because it meant that mom and dad were going to invite someone over afterwards, um, and we couldn't wait for that. We always had somebody over after church on Sunday night to play games and to have food together and to talk. Um, so we just we loved our time around the table growing up as kids. Now I had two brothers, and we didn't always get along. Shocker, right? That we might have fought once in a while. Um, well, there was one night that something happened around the dinner table I, I honestly can't tell you what started it what what it what the issue was, but um we had this thing. My dad called it a bad habit um, and this bad habit was one of the three of us would say something and we would start laughing like it was it, it might not have even been funny, but we would snicker and then we would it would become like rumbling and then roaring and then three of us were lose it laughing and oftentimes couldn't tell you what it was we were even laughing at well my dad would get so mad at this my dad would say that's it one more if you get any more laughing and you're going to your rooms and we were like trying our best to compose ourselves and eat our food and not like blow our milk all over the table laughing at each other so um and this would happen often well there was one night where someone said something, probably my older brother, because he's always been the jokester in our house, said something, the other, my little brother and I just started laughing, and we couldn't stop laughing. And my, and, oh, my mom was always supportive of my dad, right? She never like, really said, like, you guys stop laughing, but she would be like, like, you're like, come on, just laugh with us. Well, so we're roaring laughing, and my dad is like, that's it. You're all going to your rooms. And as he's saying this, I notice across the table, I see my mom's shoulders and then I see her, like, put her head down, and I'm like, oh, here it goes, and then all of a sudden, she lost it laughing, and my dad just was like, oh, forget it, and he got up and walked away from the table. He was so mad, so, and from then on, it was like laughter at the table was just a welcome thing. Like, he came to grips with the fact that I better be happy my kids are laughing at the table, not hating each other, but anyway, so it was just so funny that all of a sudden, my mom lost it laughing, and none of us even remember the things that we laughed about at that table, but those were the moments that, you know, it was an unexpected moment of laughter for my dad. All of a sudden, he, oh, and then there was another day where he did, he joined in the laughter, and he was like, well, I can't scold you for that anymore. So, anyway, well, open your Bibles this morning, if you will, to John chapter 12, verses one through eight. We're gonna read a passage, um, another table passage that we find in the Bible. John chapter 12 verses one through eight, this is what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should use this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord, and we all say together, amen. So Jesus was greatly loved by Mary by Martha and by Lazarus. Um, and this is even before he was, Jesus and Lazarus were friends, but Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Martha, Mary and Lazarus are family and obviously they're you know, if, if Jesus were to raise your brother from the dead, you're probably gonna be pretty appreciative of this person, you're gonna be indebted to him. So even before this happened, um, they are, he holds a special place in their heart. So here we see they've invited him into their home to honor him with a meal. Now, the relationship of Mary and Martha is different. This is something that we talk about um, throughout scripture that you've seen in different places. But um, Mary is the one who, or Martha's the one who's busy. You know, she's, she's, she's doing her thing of hospitality. That's her gift. That's the way she's showing her love to the Lord. Mary, however, she just wants to sit in the presence of Jesus and soak up all, the, uh, all that he has to say and all, that, all that's going on. She just wants to absorb it. And so we have her sitting here and, and, and just listening to him. And then we have her showing her devotion to him through anointing his feet. The disciples are also just sitting around Jesus with, at this meal, just gleaning from him all that they can. I can only imagine what it must have been like to sit at a meal with this group of of men and and women here. What must it have been like to have a a meal with the master? This dinner um, for Jesus takes place in the last week of his life. It's in Bethany in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it's shortly after Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. And at this point, the religious leaders are done with Jesus. They want him arrested, and they want him put to death because they're kind of intimidated by what's happening. They're just, they're done, they're fed up. So Mary anoints Jesus' feet with pure nard. Um, As I was researching, this is something that I found, and it says this, when kings were anointed, there was an enthronement ceremony. Typically in such a ceremony, the head was anointed. Here in this passage, we see Jesus' feet being anointed. Feet were anointed, at a person's death. So we have an anointing ceremony for a king with an anointing ritual that signified his death. Meals are a central part of life in the Bible. They happen, there's feasts and festivals and and gatherings of all kinds in the Old and in the New Testament. But dinner then was a lingering thing. Like Jeremy talked about last week, it wasn't just a come scarf your food down and run on to the next thing. It was a stop and be together, and talk together. They would start in the evening and linger into the night hours because they didn't want to leave the table together. It was more than just that, that meal, the food that went into their body. The table was a place of physical nourishment. But more than that, it was a place where celebration happened. It was a place where mourning happened. It was a place where teachings happened. It was a place of thanksgiving. It was a place of prayer. And the table was a place of confrontation. Sometime we'll look at the book of Esther and see how that confrontation took place. The table was a significant place. Most of the table moments mentioned are, they, they're very significant. The significant moment of this story, however, is the extravagant act of Mary. She anoints Jesus' feet with pure nard. At the first time I read that, I was like, ugh. Like, sounds like something I want my my feet slathered with, right? Just, rub. when I think of nard, I actually think of lard and my grandma cooking as a kid. Like, that stuff was thick and made everything taste really good and probably killed people off early, but um, that's what I think of when I think of nard. So she she takes this and she... She rubs it on his feet. Now, in the passage, it says it's worth a year's wages. It was approximately 300 denarii in that day, and a pound of it was the equivalent of one year's salary for a man in the days of the Bible. Let's translate this into modern-day statistics. This pound of nard today would be the value of $56,000. Mary poured out a jar of perfume on Jesus' feet that is worth more than many of us in this room make in a year. Now do you see how extravagant her gift to Jesus was? We don't know exactly where the nard came from. Maybe it was a family heirloom, a treasured gift, or from her dowry. This is the kind of thing that was put into a dowry to be given to the groom upon marriage to the bride. This would have been largely significant for a woman who was of marrying age to give up either part of or all of her dowry. It's an example of giving Jesus what would almost be the ultimate gift from Mary. Now imagine if you were, you're sitting around the table that night, you have a seat in the chair, I'm pretty sure they didn't, they probably were actually lounging on the floor, but you're sitting around the table And you're watching this take place. You're watching her pour this thing on his feet. You see Lazarus and Jesus chatting back and forth. You see Mary just sitting there. And as we read in in the other places in the Bible, you hear that Martha's irritated with Mary because she's just sitting there and Martha's the one running back and forth. Then all of a sudden, Mary pulls out this bottle and she lets her hair down. Now, the only person that would see a woman's hair down in those days was her husband. It was, um, her, if she was in public, her hair was up and it was covered. But she sits before Jesus and in an extremely intimate act, she pours this oil on his feet and she wipes the oil with her hair. And here you sit around this table and as you imagine, I'm guessing some of us might find ourselves a little bit disgusted At what she just did. I would say that the men in the room probably especially would have because it was not proper. It wasn't the expected thing of a woman. But she laid aside all expectations to have this intimate moment to show her Lord how much she loved him. Now, no one in the room can miss what Mary has done because the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. Just like the the aroma spread through the room, Mary's act was going to spread through the world. Here's an example. Here we are, hundreds of years later, still talking about that moment. That's how significant that table moment was. Judas is the one who speaks up, but other passages of Scripture show there were others at that dinner table that night who were irritated that Mary had wasted the oil. Judas believes that it should have been sold and, and given to the poor. Now again, our passage tells us that his motives for why it should have been given to the poor weren't necessarily right on. Sometimes our giving doesn't make sense. And sometimes it's supposed to be extravagant. Mary could have sold it and given the money to the poor. But Mary wanted to lavish her love on Jesus with that gift. Jesus gave her back Lazarus, and she wanted to show how much that she loved him for that. And Mary may not have realized that her anointing actually served another purpose. Mary's anointing fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. In the Old Testament, when a king's identity was doubted, oil was used to anoint the king, providing affirmation to his kingship. Usually the head of the king was anointed for office and the feet were anointed at the time of death. Because sin and death would be conquered by Jesus, giving him rule of the people through resurrection, his cross became his throne. Through her act of anointing Jesus, Mary contributed to the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Prophecies which spoke of the Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah literally means anointed one. Mary's actions have alluded to the prophecies that declare Jesus as Messiah, If only to herself that night. Mary could have waited until after Jesus died to anoint him with the oil, which was part of the practice to hide the stench of the body after death. She doesn't wait. This is what I love. She doesn't wait till death to do what she wants to do. She seizes the moment in life to take the opportunity to say and to show and to lavish her love. She takes the moment to throw aside cultural norms without any regard for what anyone in that room thought of her that night. And why did she do it? She did it for Jesus. What if we lived this way, church? What if we gave of our time, our talents, and our treasure with wide open arms? Oh my goodness, what could Jesus do? I wanna share with you a generosity story. When we were in Michigan, we encouraged our church to give um, generously to a surprise gift at Christmas time. We asked them to trust us, but we didn't tell them what it was usually. We would reveal it at Christmas Eve, but we said, we need you to trust us that we're gonna give this to a need. And so in addition to, we would give to, to a school partnership that we had and a pastor's family and needs in our church, um, we received a, Chris, a gift on Christmas Eve. Now, when we received this gift, what we did was we asked everybody, come on Christmas Eve with cash. We don't want you to give in a check because we want to be able to take this gift and give it right away that evening. Um, we had ordered a pizza from a local pizza place to be delivered that night. And some of you may have heard of something like this happening before. But we ordered a pizza, and before this happened, we began to pray, God, send us the right person. Send us the person who needs this. So we ordered this pizza, and we said, this is so strange, I know, but we would like you to deliver this pizza right into the middle of our church service. And the pizza guy was like, okay, like, whatever. Sure, I've got somebody who'll do that. Okay, so that night comes, we receive the offering, We tallied it up, the people in the office tallied it up, put it into an envelope, walked it up front, and handed it to Jeremy. I waited at the back doors, and this gentleman arrived carrying this one lonely pizza into a sanctuary full of a couple hundred people looking like, I don't know why I'm delivering a pizza to 200 people, but okay. So I said, um, he said, here, and I said, actually, would you mind walking it up front? And he looked at me again like, you're crazy, but okay, I'll do it. So I'm like, all right, I'll go with you just so that you felt more comfortable. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So we walked up to the front of the sanctuary, and he handed Jeremy the pizza. <laughs> and he's like, here you go. And Jeremy was like, thank you. And he said, we so appreciate what you do and the fact that you're working on Christmas Eve when you, we know that you could be home with your family. He said, and our church wants to bless you this Christmas. We don't know what your need is, but here, we want you to take this tip. And he, he took the envelope, and as he took it from Jeremy's hand, the envelope was like this, because it was a stack of cash in that envelope. It was somewhere around $750 that was gathered that night in that tip. And we handed it to him, and the total was written on the envelope. And he, as he pulled it back, he was like... And he looked at Jeremy, and he was like, Thank you. And he turned around, and, and he started to walk out of, out of the sanctuary, and, and I followed him. And we had another gentleman that was where w- there with us. And we stood in the, in the foyer and, and he looked at me and he was like, um, I don't even know what to say right now. He said, thank you for this. And I said, you're welcome. He's like, I didn't, I didn't do enough to, to earn this though. And I said, listen, this isn't about what you did to earn this. This is a gift that our church wants to give you to say Merry Christmas and that Jesus loves you. And he was like, Um, we've had a bill that couldn't get paid, and I couldn't buy Christmas presents for my daughter, and now I can, and I can pay that bill. And he just kept looking at the amount, and he's like, I I just, and he had tears coming, and he was like, I gotta call my wife. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So he dials, and he's shaking as he dials the phone, and he's like, hey, honey, you better sit down before I tell you. And I could hear her on the other end, what? Like yelling, like, what'd you do? And she, he's like, sit down. Something just happened and I need to tell you about it. And he is like a giddy schoolboy by the time he gets in the car telling his wife about what just happened. Pretty sure it's the biggest pizza tip that man ever received in his life. As he pulled away, this is the best moment for me, though. As he pulled away, one of our gentlemen who works on our safety team stood there. And this man is like Mr. Composed, right? He is the guy who is like, it's together. He's in a suit. He's, he's well com- put together. And I watched that man stand there broken with tears streaming down his face. And he looked at me and he was like, I was skeptical of this. I was skeptical of your method of generosity, but I'm not anymore. He's like, I don't know what we're doing next Christmas Eve, but I'm in. (laughs) Let's do it. And so that next Christmas Eve, guess what? Guess who was the first person lined up saying, tell me what to do. We went to a restaurant with him, and we tipped a waitress. All we did was buy three Cokes, and we tipped the waitress the biggest tip she's ever gotten. And she stood there in tears talking to us about a school bill she had to pay. Every person we gave to needed exactly what we had given. There was always some need, and we just trusted that God would guide us and lead us. And it was generous giving on behalf of our people. We just said, give without any strings attached. You don't even know what you're giving to, but trust that God is going to lead us. And he did. In 2020, will you pray about how you and your family can become extravagant givers like Mary? How can you give to your own family in the walls of your home or kids that are maybe not living with you anymore? How can you give to the people who live next door to you, across the street from you, kitty corner from you, behind you, wherever it is? How can you give to your neighbors? How can you give to Christ Just think if we had a ministry where everyone in our church was giving back to Christ from the financial blessing he had given them. Tithing will always bring about blessing in your life. I promise you. Hands down. There is no, no doubt in my mind. We'll talk about that another day. How can you give to others around tables this year? What ministries can you partner with? In the months coming, we're going to be sharing with you about some ministries right here in town. Things that maybe you have never heard about. Raise your hand just by show of hands. How many of you have never heard of Portico before today? Yeah, that is most of you in this room. We want you to be aware of the ministries right here in this town that are helping bless people's lives. Jeremy and I got to spend about 45 minutes with a group this week, actually two different groups, and we're going to be in the process of sharing with you about these amazing ministries that are doing some just really cool stuff, and we get to be a part of that with them. Like Mary, what table moments are you creating that are going to be talked about for years to come? It might not be something talked about for 2,000 years, but what lasting memories are you making around a table? I've asked my boys if they'll come up here for just a minute. And while they're doing this, Jeremy and a couple others are going to hand out these pieces of paper because I need everybody to have a piece of paper when we're done. So we're going we're to kind of show you just a glimpse, minus the giggles maybe, because the giggles happen at our table too, a lot. But we don't get sent to our rooms for giggling because we just add right in, don't we boys? So at our dinner table, we eat, we talk, we talk about the drama of high school and middle school. We talk about life as teenagers. We talk about church. We talk about the sermon. We talk about our sister at college, our cousins in, ten, in, in Knoxville. We talk about a lot of things at our dinner table. And at the end of a, of a meal, we have this thing where we blow out the candle. Now, I've asked Rylan and Jace to come up here, and they're going to show you what this means in just a second. But this started when Jeremy was a child. Um, this is something that when he was a kid, they would do, and then it's just kind of continued on with our kids. Traditions around the, around the table shape our kids, and they remind them of the importance of a meal together. So this is a silly thing, you guys, but this is what we would do. I'm going to let, I need that lighter right there, just in case. We're going to let the baby of the family try it first. Um, But this is what we do. You have to sit back in your chair, bottom back, back, back against the back of the chair. Take a deep breath in, and you got to try and blow the candle out. Go ahead, Rylan. Okay, Jace. He did it. <laughs> thank you, boys. Oh, wait, you need to try. Okay, hold on. This is, this is what happens with the baby of the family, too. He, he, he has to get a fair shot at it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, boys. So this is a silly thing. It's as silly as this little candle, but you know what? That candle, I don't have candlesticks in my house, but that candle made the trip from Michigan to here because that's what we do around our table at the end of a dinner. It doesn't happen every time we have a meal, but oftentimes we sit and see who has the most wind in their lungs. Hmm. (laughs) Who's hot? Who's hot? Hot air. Okay. But it's silly. So I have one final table story that I want to share with you before we wrap up and before I have you do something with your papers. This is an example of of seizing the moment before it's too late. Um, It's a treasure to me now. About seven months before my dad died, so this was December of 2017, we were at my mom and dad's house for Christmas, and we were sitting around the table. We sat down at the table that night, and I remember looking across the table. And my dad was doing this, trying to cut his food and trying to keep his food on his, on his spoon to get it to his mouth and eat. He struggled to eat that night and to have the strength just to feed himself. Um, Jeremy and I began to talk to him. We, we were all sitting around the table, the kids and I, and Jeremy and, and my little brother was there. My, my mom and dad, mom was at the ki- actually in the kitchen working on dishes, and so we just sat at the table. I felt like Mary that night, and my mom was Martha, but um, I just wanted to hear what my dad had to say. And Jer said, tell me about when you and Norma met. And my dad just began to replay the, the time when he met my mom. And laughter, and my mom would be in the kitchen and be like, that's not how it happened, and correct him. <laughs> and bantered back and forth, for about 30 minutes about the stories from when he met my mom and how my mom didn't like him at all, and he thought she was stuck up, and well, clearly, they got over their hang-ups over each other because, you know, this, this in a couple of weeks would, would have been 50 years for my mom and dad. Well, just in the midst of this, we had, were a couple minutes into the conversation, and something made Jeremy go, I got to record this. And so he pulled out his phone and had an app on his phone, and and he just pushed record. And so I have that whole conversation on record on my phone. Now, you can't hear it very well because my dad didn't have much lung capacity at this point. So he's real quiet. So you hear almost the rest of the noises better than you hear my dad talking. But we seized the moment in that night. My brother and I heard things about my parents' meeting that we'd heard that story over the years, but suddenly they were remembering details that they had never remembered before. And we learned things that night that we wouldn't have learned had we not stopped and seized the moment to say, Dad, tell me about this. That was one of the last meals I ever shared at a table with my dad. It was the last meal that my kids shared when my dad was coherent enough to have a conversation with them. It was the last supper for them with grandpa. It was tough. I went on to have a few more conversations over the next few months at tables. One of those was, Dad, I hate that we're having this conversation, but let's talk your funeral. I want it to be what you want it. And he shared some crazy ideas with us, and we were like, really? (laughs) And I said, Dad, who do you want to do your service for you? And I've shared this before, but he said, "Mm, I don't think they could do it. Long story short, I ended up preaching my dad's funeral in August of 2018 but I wanted it to be what he wanted. And so I had to have some awkward conversations with my parents over the course of six months to know that things were in place and things were in order. And I didn't want to wait till they were gone to have those conversations. Take your paper out. Find a pen, share with a neighbor, and get ready to write down some names. First, write down the name of someone that you know needs Jesus. And if you can't think of someone, I'm going to challenge you to get out and talk to people more because there are people who need Jesus everywhere. Because I've actually had people tell me that before. I just don't know. You better get out and meet people because they're everywhere. Chances are they're sitting in the pew next to you sometimes too. Pew, seat, chair, whatever. But write down that name. That's number one. This next one I need to turn the lights up for. Okay, now look around this room. Some of you are new and you don't know anybody in here and that's okay. You know maybe the person sitting next to you. But look around this room. I'm giving you permission, like turn right now. Like actually look all around, look behind you. Nobody like wants to turn around, but do it, it's okay. You know, you ever sit in church and somebody makes a weird noise and you like really want to look back and see what it was, but you're trying not to be too obvious. Right now you have permission to do that, okay? So look around. There are those in this room who some of you have said, I need to invite them over. Or we need to get together because I want to get to know them better. Write that name down right now. Look around the room. Who is it in this room? Every one of you should have somebody in here. Again, if you don't, I challenge you to get to know some people. Yeah, you could put everybody if you need to, but let's start with one, because actually you're right that we should be meeting with more than just one, but let's start with one. You've got to start somewhere. Okay, the next one is, um, I said maybe you need to start with your own family, because you say, Christy, that's great. You encourage us to meet with others, but we don't even get dinner around the table with our own, our own kids. Write your kids down. Dinner with my kids. Dinner with my spouse. If you haven't had dinner alone with your spouse in a while, folks, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but we will babysit your kids so you can go to dinner. <laughs> I'm serious, because I believe in your ma- I, OK, deal. Because I believe in your marriage that much that I want you to have that time alone. And there are some other people in this room who would say, "I'll watch your kids too, because we believe in each other's marriages. And the only way they succeed is if we invest in them. All right, next, write down the name of a neighbor that you need to share a meal with. Friday, Ryland got his hair cut at the girl across the street from our house. We're planning dinner with them this week or next. There's my dinner for with a neighbor. Met the neighbor right next door this last week and her daughter doesn't live there, but she came over and she said, I'd love to come over for a cup of tea sometime. Absolutely. Come on over, let's talk. All right, teens in the room. i got a few heads perking up. Who do you need to sit at a lunch table with? Who sits by themselves? Who gets made fun of? Who gets mocked? Maybe it's you. I hope not. I'll pound some heads for you in a nice way. But seriously, who, needs to, who do you need to sit at a table with? Write it down. If the names you wrote were to die today, would you say to yourself, I wish I had called. I wish I had texted. I wish I had gotten together with them. I wish I had told them how much they mean to me you may already have regrets about someone that you've lost in your life. And you can heal from those things and God's going to allow you to move forward. But why wait until it's too late to show how much you love and respect others who are in your life today? Let's be a people like Mary and take the opportunity to live life together and to show others how much we love them. Before you leave today, I want, I want you to actually go find the name that's on your list from this room and i want you to make a plan to say hey i want us to get together i get you have busy schedules it might take you some time i just i messaged a friend this week who lives in the nashville area and it's going to take us we're going it's going to be in february before we get to get together because of our schedules being so busy it may take time but just you have to start by making a plan make a plan as a family Take your papers home. And I want you to, parents, I want you to go home and I want you to ask your teenagers about this. And if you bring a teen to church, I want you to ask them about this. Who's on your list? Let's make this plan together and let's check our list off as a family. I'll throw this in here. We have some college students who would love to say, please invite us to lunch. We like a home-cooked meal. (laughs) Am I right? You can pay me later, boys. Okay, Um, but seriously... Make a plan to check those names off your list. Challenge your teenager or your student to do that at lunch. That's a regular conversation at our house. Guys, who needs, who needs you this week? They knew a lot more when we lived in Michigan because they knew the students, now they're the new kid. But guys, who's the one that sits alone in the lunchroom? Go find them. Encourage them. My boys have been bullied. My oldest has been bullied. My Reagan was bullied. And so we talk about that all the time. Who's that kid that's getting bullied? Be their friend. Who's that kid living in the homeless shelter? Be their friend. Be their advocate. Will you challenge your teenagers to become that? Would that, I pray that that would become a lifestyle for real life teens and kids. Let's spend 2020 pouring out our love in unexpected ways. Yeah. Let's create unexpected table moments of laughter and love and sharing life together because that's what Jesus would want us to do.